Welcome back to NatChat, the Natillic podcast. My name is Rob Thorne, and today we're delving into the always interesting world of cybersecurity. Palo Alto Networks continue to further their already impressive credentials as a leader in the cybersecurity space in the last 12 months, with countless awards, significant growth and acquisitions, as well as some standout client success stories. We sat down to discuss how they've seen a shift in priorities and strategy for enterprises, as well as touching on some differing approaches to SecOps, and how Palo Alto are continuing to ensure that they're best positioned to support the seemingly inevitable cloud-first future. I had a great time speaking with Adrian Stewart and James. There's some really great real-life examples and stories to help contextualise some of the topics we discussed, and I think you'll really enjoy this one. It's Wednesday, February 24th, and this is an Atelic Podcast. All right. Very excited today to be joined by a full house of guests on the Natillic podcast. Starting off, we've got two of the best and brightest from Palo Alto Networks. Adrian Teasy, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Rob. Good, good. And Stuart Taylor. Stuart, hello. Hello, Rob. Good to see you. Slash hear you. Slash hear me. Yeah, you can kind of see me, although we're, we are having a few networking connectivity issues, so um, but that granted. Um, and then finally... Last but not least, um, we have Natillic's own James Nunn. How's it going, James? Afternoon, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Good stuff. So, listen, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Um, We're going to be focusing on digital transformation in the cybersecurity space. Um, But before we dive into the discussion, um, I'm going to start, as always, by getting to know our guests a little bit better. So I'll begin with our good friends at Palo Alto. Stuart, would you mind telling us a little bit about your role and, and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Um, I'm the channel director for the UK and Ireland at Palo Alto Networks. I've been with the company for about two and a half years now, um, and I look after all of the engagements across um, our channels for for that region, um, which includes all of our GSI engagements, service providers, partners, MSSPs, distributors, uh, everything that we do with with our channel uh, partnerships. Wow. So... uh... No mean feat. I imagine that's a lot of responsibility. Um, and then, Adrian, how about you, my friend? What what keeps you busy on a day to day basis? Uh, you guys mostly, I have to say, well, I like to hear. <laughs> in a good way. Um, yeah. So, Adrian Tizi, I'm one of the channel business managers in Stuart's Western European channel team. I look after a number of our our development partners in the UK. So, um, Natalik being one of them. Um, so, yeah, very much working alongside you guys to build the business together and, and see how we can help our customers uh, improve their security. Nice, nice. And um, James, um, I've, I've been particularly excited to, to, to get you on there. Not, no, no professional bias for me and my sales background, but um, let's, let's, let's come to you. I'm not quite sure why, Rob. I mean, you kind of feel like you're building me up for, for failure here. But um, so, yeah, James Nunn, account director in the London Enterprise team. Uh, I've been at Natillic nearly six years now, um, so it's been uh, yeah, been an interesting time seeing how we've grown over that period. Um, started in the commercial team and then stepped up into enterprise um, a few years back. And yeah, what keeps me busy? Clients, 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 clients. I only look after um, Natillic clients. I don't do any new business or anything like that. So full account management, farming and all that. And yeah, it's um, you know it's been interesting times recently. So staying busy. 
Yeah, I'm hoping we'll 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 get onto that a little bit later because I think that that is particularly why I'm so excited is to actually get the uh, get the inside inside kind of conversations that, are, that that our clients are having at the moment. Um, but we'll we'll start with with Palo Alto Networks, and it's safe to say 2020 was a, a really strong year for you guys again. Um, I think once again confirmed as a leader in pretty much every space that you play. Some interesting acquisitions, as well as continuing to develop your existing portfolio. Um, but Stuart, Stuart and Adrian, um, what would you say stood out to you as a key takeaway from from the year? Now that you've had a chance to to reflect on it, so I think a couple of things, um, Rob, that that we've certainly seen as a trend. And you're right, you know, it's been a great year uh, for us. I think there's there's been um, also strong growth in cybersecurity across the board. But as an organisation, we've broadened out our platform um, and we've enabled a lot of customers to to be more secure than the, the day they were before um, or where they are at the day before. So that's a, a very positive thing that we can match our mission statement. I think the things that we're seeing, you know, we're in unprecedented times, so we've got to touch on the pandemic and and what that what uh, challenges that's brought to customers, um, and, and clearly standing up um, remote access for for remote workers securely uh, as quickly as possible um, to probably to a lot of businesses an unprecedented number of of remote workers, and I think um, I heard somebody say the other day that they'd gone from you know five hundred uh, or sorry. 40 to 50 customer uh, uh, remote workers, 40 to 50 remote workers going up to 300 um, within a day. And, and that was one of our one of our customers. And and I think that, you know, that's what a lot of organizations have experienced, that challenge of ensuring that they can operate their businesses during a pandemic. Um, and what that's actually also seen in parallel is an acceleration of their journey to the cloud. So um, making sure that they utilize the technologies that are available in the cloud, the movement of applications, um, accessing new markets, et cetera, um, and making sure that their, um, their organizations are acting as efficiently and effectively as possible and doing so in a secure fashion. So, so that's where we've uh, had a lot of conversations with, with our customers and, and leading into that, um, a lot of that's been around the acceleration, I guess, of a, of a zero trust approach as well from a number of customers um, across how they operate entirely. And, and I think that, um, you know, we've, we've got a number of our CISOs telling us that it's quite difficult out there. There are more bad actors and more attack surfaces, and they have to operate in a state of assumed breach. And therefore, in, in order to do that, they have to approach that zero trust, uh, that zero trust methodology. We, we actually hear quite a lot, don't we, around customers accelerating their digital transformation initiatives and, and their shift to cloud. But, you know, if you dig under the covers, what's really behind that is that a lot of companies we talk to are really being forced to reevaluate and redefine the ways in which they're operating, innovating and maintaining business continuity, not just to, to survive in a really difficult environment right now, but to establish where they can drive competitive advantage. So leveraging technologies like cloud and AI machine learning, a bit, we're seeing being looked at more than ever uh, before as enablers. As Stuart touched on, I think that combination of shift to cloud and a rapid shift to remote working you know fundamentally what we're seeing is that you that attack service has, has spread enormously customers are looking at making sure their employees are able to connect to any of their applications and data wherever those staff are and wherever those applications and data are and and that creates a a, a lot of challenge 
the point I would add to that is that, I mean, if you look at what Gartner say, Gartner suggests that around 55% of customers have more than 25 security products. And it's not unusual for a new use case to pop up and a, and a product be implemented to, to solve a particular problem at a point in time. But that approach we, we don't feel is, is really sustainable. So one of the other things that we've really seen in the past year are customers looking at the change in the environment to really reevaluate what they're doing from both a networking and security uh, perspective and looking at what technologies they can deliver from the cloud to give them a much greater level of agility than they've ever had before. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I mean, one thing I'm particularly interested in hearing from your, you guys as well is, I mean, I mean, we've had guests ranging from sort of all parts of the technology landscape, whether it be data center, collaboration, contact center, um, and, and now obviously you guys to discuss security and networking. Would you say, I know, I know in those spaces specifically, people have gone from, you know, reacting and sort of the survive mentality to trying to thrive in the, in the new world. Would you say it's the same in security now? I mean, I'd imagine it's mostly just accelerated the conversation that you were already having right in terms of um that migration from on-prem to cloud and things like that is it is it is, are those type of conversations still happening now are people looking to you know what the workplace of the future is and things like that when it comes to security yeah one of the things i would say that that we see rob is that as customers have really accelerated some of those initiatives security is often left behind you know we, we see a real mix of customers i would say between those where you know, those innovative new technologies, the rise of DevOps, developing new applications and services to deliver really quickly to try to thrive. Security is often the piece that catches up. So many of the conversations we're having with customers now is how do we integrate security much earlier within those initiatives and enable security to become a true business enabler, not just something to plug gaps, which potentially come out later on through the cycle that's something i would say is really gathering some pace right now as customers look at uh, true transformation is how do we integrate security much earlier in that cycle yeah and no, i think i think adrian's right um on that front uh, cso's that we speak to and we get feedback from consistently you know i think we had a scenario where before this quicker acceleration to the to the cloud occurred that the um that cyber security was had started to properly be on the mind of boards of companies. Um, and, and again, with this movement and acceleration and changes that are required in the last year or so, um, there's been a piece where they've been having to take advantage of these technologies, but that hasn't necessarily been in line with the security that they've had in their on-premise uh, infrastructures. Um, and there's been a, a speed requirement for that. And Adrian's quite right in that we want we, we can help customers um, integrate security into the life cycle of what they do. Um, you know, and, and to that point, you know, from a cloud perspective, we just made a recent acquisition to do just that and take a bet on that shift left approach uh, with, with, a, with a company called Bridge Crew. Uh, we've acquired that technology to, to, to put that into our cloud security um, piece of Prisma Cloud. So, so that's definitely something that we're looking to do. The other thing, you know, it's challenging for them because there's a well-regard or well-acknowledged, I should say, a skill shortage in the market for cybersecurity people. Yeah, and, and as a consequence, uh, I think it's recognised with the statistic that Adrian says about 55% of organisations having over 25 security vendors, that's in increasingly difficult to manage. 
with increasing attack surfaces and a, and a lack of integrated tools, there's more and more volumes of, of um, alerts, you know, increases in false positives. It's more difficult to detect things and to remediate them. And I think that that integrated and automated approach is what's needed because you can't just keep adding more people to get to the problem because there aren't those people as well. So it's an unsustainable um, loop that, that occurs. So so definitely we need to uh, to help customers in terms of integrating and automating uh, to enable them to deliver a uh, security posture that works for their business. There's an additional point to that, I would, um, I, there's an additional point to that I would also add in. Um, the, the cyber threat landscape has really changed in the past year. You know, we, we've seen probably phishing attacks uh, absolutely go through the roof. Uh, through the roof, Accenture mentioned it was it's something like a 68.9% increase in phishing attacks since the coronavirus outbreak started. I think we've probably all experienced it, right? You know, we're, we're in a business now where our, our own security team will test our staff and. You know, we'll talk about employee. Uh, we'll talk about um, cybersecurity predictions for the coming year, and one of them, Greg talks about our our CISO talks about employee fatigue, for example. You know, you could very easily inadvertently click on click on a link, and before you know it, you're exposed. Okay, so, so we're starting to see, you know, tied into a real shift in. The cyber threat landscape, and back to Stuart's point about the lack of skilled cybersecurity resources, that leads to a much greater demand in leveraging AI and machine learning technologies to automate as much as you possibly can to take away that burden from customers, but improve that threat posture entirely and really try to free up the time for some of the more sophisticated threats that are being developed because we've seen some of those come through fairly recently. And that seems to be very high on many of our customers' agendas. It's not just having that first line of defense. It's also looking at the advanced threat hunting, how they can automate detection, investigation, and response, and really free up those resources to start looking at other things potentially that they haven't done before around security process improvement, building kind of playbooks for how they deal and how they evolve with the, the evolving threat landscape as well so it's it's quite a it feels to me from my experience like a rapidly shifting market where we're seeing customers really wake up to that and look at how can they leverage those technologies to both improve their security posture and and also you know overcome the challenge they have with a lack of resources out in the market today and you, you guys um i think at paolo you guys have like only a so like eight person SOC team that looks after your entire business and and it's you know when you guys talk around the skill shortage and the you know the different amounts of um technologies that are out there and this kind of traditional view that you should have security in layers with all these different solutions i think actually the past year and and um and team security teams having to suddenly really um manage those solutions um effectively and consistently they've kind of realized you know how much fatigue is involved in doing that uh whereas you guys as an organization have like i said like eight or ten people who i think manage security for the whole business of thousands of people um and as a great example of actually you can achieve the same thing 
by um, actually putting your faith in a vendor that you are you you know is is doing great stuff in the market um, and has the solutions to back up their their claims um, and that that should be considered by clients um, and I and I, I do think there is a bit of a shift back towards well maybe we can utilize a sort of a core vendor for a number of security solutions and maybe augment certain things but not that we have to have 20 different vendors for 20 different security problems you are quite right uh, james in that in that approach and actually it's really helpful for us as a team to be able to showcase that to to a number of our um, customers whether they're you know existing or prospective and to show them how we operate using you know our technologies through our our small SOC team as you, as you quite rightly point out through utilizing what adrian said before you know, machine learning ai and automating as much as we possibly can um, utilizing that workbook strategy through uh, XOR that we have that enables us to to automate the um, the repetitive tasks that are required by the analysts to enable them to go and threat hunt and do those those active things uh, to, to make sure that the, the posture uh, for our business is is as secure as it possibly can be. Um, and, and I think that that is that is really something that's resonating with a lot of um, organisations out there as well. That they they need not just potentially those solutions that do that for them, but they they often need to you consume it as a service as well, because they also haven't got the staff to be able to operate it. So so at the moment, I think we're seeing a rise in in the requirements for um, an integrated. Uh, cybersecurity platform that offers lots of different um, areas to protect across your endpoint, your network and your cloud infrastructure, automating as much of it uh, as possible, uh, but also potentially delivering that as a service um, because it's very difficult for them to operate themselves in many cases. Yeah, and I, I think um, one of the added benefits of taking that approach with as a service means that um, from my perspective in my job, actually, it's quite easy to um, to get to a point where it's validated for the client because we do a proof of value or a proof of concept um, because it's as a service rather than having to, you know, buy a load of tin or whatever. Um, and actually it means that clients get to see relatively quickly the value of what you guys can offer. Um, and I, again, that's just that, that speed is what's been key um, again in the current climate. You know, no one wants to be waiting around for months and months for this stuff. So. I think one of the um, one of the interesting things that we've seen in the industry in the past few years is is a real rise of technology that's creating so many alerts for security analysts or, or SOC teams to to do something with. And one of the one of the challenges that customers face quite often is the fact that you know not only is there a shortage of skilled cybersecurity resources out in the industry a lot of them are kind of stuck in that tier one activity of trying to aggregate alerts from a multitude of different sources to try to work out where the real threats are. Um, you mentioned our, our own SOC there, James, as well. We actually don't have a tiering system within our own SOC. Um, if you can have the technology that can do all of that initial investigation and create security incidents for you, you're taking away 90% of the work of the manual repetitive tasks right from the very start. So the team still spend some of their time on, on the more advanced threats. So they still have to do that to a degree, but it frees up, you know, they would work to what they would call a thirds model, a third spent on, on investigating the more advanced threats on then on more advanced threat hunting, but very, very focused on security process improvements as well. 
and that that piece around not having those different tiers one of the parts of feedback we often see it we probably see this more in in public sector than in private sector but it's certainly not not specific to public sector is that those that are in tier one what what's their own ambition what what are their career goals they want to move up the chain right they want to become tier two tier three analysts if they're doing that menial repetitive job day after day where are they likely to end up and it's a real challenge for organizations to retain those staff long term because where they are deployed and and doing those repetitive tasks day after day if they can go somewhere where they they can do the things they really want to do which is the more advanced threat hunting and get involved in that that side of things that just makes for a much more productive and long-term workforce because we do see that churn in the industry of skilled analysts moving from organization to organization. Um, so, you know, from, from a an efficiency point of view, from just the cost point of view as well, you know, it takes six months, I think, uh, roughly to skill up a, a SOC analyst into any organization. So there's there's real scope to not only look at that from a security posture point of view, but look at that in terms of workforce retention and motivation to really purpose them on where they feel they can deliver most value to the business. Yeah, just, I mean, you're basically just trying to save some people from a lifetime of boredom because they are absolutely fed up of having to do task after task after task. And then they've probably been stuck at home as well on their own for the last year doing that as well. Can you imagine? I don't blame them. I really don't blame them. So yeah, if you can you can help those guys as well, I'm sure that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. And um, we're actually... In the current, currently in the stages of planning a, a podcast where we're going to be talking a bit more detail about the cybersecurity skills gap, I think, with um, my colleague uh, Haley Knott and, and some of your some of your colleagues over at Palo Alto Networks as well. So um, yeah, it should be should be a really interesting conversation. Keep and keep your eyes and ears out for that one coming up. Um, James, you mentioned it in, in in passing a little bit there, but I'm I'm keen to have hear a, a little bit from you on the conversations you're having you've obviously gone through the enforced changes this time last year where you know where, where clients were reacting um to the to the to the changes and the uh, the lockdown and things like that um but also you've you've been probably since we started partnering with Palo Alto Networks nearly over three years ago now probably had the most experience of working with our clients in 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 Palo Alto so um would you be able to talk a little bit about sort of that that transition, the journey, the, the way that the conversations have changed a little bit, and maybe give us a couple of examples or an example of um, where again you've seen some success in um, Palo Alto? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I mean, just just in general, in terms of like the last year and what we've seen, um, it's been incredibly polarizing. You, you know, you look at just the general um, population um, and you know personal life. People are at their at their healthiest. People are also at their unhealthiest. You know, there's a, there's like a baby boom coming, but there's also like highest rates of divorce. It's it's, it's incredible what um, two ends of the spectrum we've seen from the pandemic, and it's it's no different um, in my line of work as well. There have been a lot of clients who've kind of gone for an innovate or die approach and uh, hit the bleeding edge as quickly as possible. Um, we've seen projects ramp up. We've seen um, you know budgets suddenly become available um, but uh, conversely we've also seen clients that almost co completely ground to a halt in terms of what they were planning to do and were very much more a uh, sort of steady eddy in terms of um, of how they wanted to uh, progress you know certainly through the you know the well 2020 I would I would say um, 
to you know to for a lot of those clients they already had the infrastructure and the and the, some of the solutions in place which meant that they didn't need to act quickly uh, especially some of the larger enterprises but um but you know i think sort of what some of the first um security deals that were being done at the at the beginning of the pandemic last year were yeah this this requirement to uh, to adapt very quickly to you know remote working environment with you know what was 300 people remote to suddenly 3000 people remote overnight and um and and you know the firewalls were taking a bashing so what do we do um in terms of um the Palo relationship yeah but you know big fan of Palo we you know we have traditionally been a very cisco focused house um but you know this the Palo is a very credible vendor um, and has some really interesting solutions in the security space and you know i was very keen to to pick up the relationship when it when it began and, and work with it and you know talk to my clients about something else and um there's a lot of what um Paolo do that resonated with the problems that my my clients had and still have today so it's um it's been it's been good it's been refreshing it's nice to um to work with the guys that, that you know we get on well um and you know it always helps when there's a good technology solution behind it so yeah um i mean one one particular client that I've, I've been working with for uh, well basically since the start of that that Paolo relationship um you know large investment house um 30 odd billion dollars under under management in terms of assets and you know they were working with um a alternate firewall provider not one that we provide um and they um they they basically tried to conduct a firmware upgrade and took out the entire business and and an organization whose um sort of income is based upon um their uh their ability to trade uh not having connectivity is is a is a pretty bad thing so it um they kind of stumbled through that for several months while we tried to work with them on a, an alternative solution and um yeah palace did out head and shoulders above the rest and it, it 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 you know the way in which they approach things it's it's a strategic relationship it's multi-year they wanted to to commit to um not just the you know the vendor and and that particular solution but what's what does the next 10 years look like and uh, you know we started with the firewalls we moved into um into uh prisma access last year and that that was always on the cards but it definitely was sped up in terms of um obviously the need for everyone to be remote and how to secure those people you know they had looked at, at global protect but um with one eye on um speed um it was clear again as i mentioned earlier that, you know the ability to do the the proof of value and get a trial um proof of concept going pretty quickly there was the speed in terms of that but there's also the speed of the network itself you know prism access is built upon um google's um network at the back end um with all of the fantastic stuff that Prism that Paolo do over the top of it and they they were going from a private mpls to a you know public internet um network and it was four times faster so um they've um they've been you know mightily impressed with how they could you know speed up connectivity but also do it securely and you know may hopefully phase three will be moving into um well, well i say phase two and a half will be prism access 2.0 which is which has literally just been announced and will hopefully come out very soon and there's some interesting Spoilers. updates to the oh yeah there's uh there's some interesting updates to the to the platform that will um uh, that they they want to look at and then you know again long term 
SD-WAN, Cloudgenics, which is another great acquisition by Palo Alto. How does that play into it and how does that integrate with the wider um, estate, especially for those guys with um, with the files and Prism Access? So yeah, it's um, it's exciting. And that's, that's a very repeatable um, story um, across a number of clients that I've got. Um, and that's you know that's always good from a sales perspective. So I'd, I'd love to love to pick up on on the fact that James points out there that our our joint engagement with customers are it, it's a journey that we go on together with with our customers. It's we don't have the, the situation where we'll choose you know work with them on one area. We look to work with them in in a strategic fashion, as James points out, how we can help them develop their um, digital transformation journeys securely. And we can help them provide that across through the platform, across the endpoint, the network and cloud, so that we can give them that holistic approach that is integrated, automated and simple from a cybersecurity perspective. Now, that means that they can rely on you know, our partnership, the Telecom Palo Alto Networks, to, to deliver on the majority of things they need from a cybersecurity perspective, which enables them to manage it easily, um, but, but again, deliver probably the most um, secure security, uh, cybersecurity posture they can have, but but equally with a, with a forward mind to innovation. I think what's what's important is, you know, we've mentioned already some of the acquisitions that we've made in the market. We're we're a highly innovative company as well, and as the attack surfaces become more frequent, um, or, or, or there are more and more of them, there are more bad actors, um, and there are also new technologies that customers want to take advantage of we're ensuring that we innovate quickly. And, and if you look at our acquisition strategy, we tended to be ahead of the market quite a lot. So we are, we're seeing where things are going and we're making um, those acquisitions to ensure that we can help um, customers in their digital transformation journeys as soon as they need to be assisted. Right? And, and I think that that's an important fact that um, we should be innovative in this space because you know the bad actors um, are certainly innovative. Um, and equally, there are other new um, technologies coming out all the time that customers could take advantage of, and we need need to be able to help them do that securely. Yeah, always feels like not a, a week goes by that there isn't a high-profile cybersecurity attack, whether it be um, sort of locally or in the in the news. So, um, and you mentioned it. So, none of you mentioned there um, sort of Prisma Access 2.0. I wanted to finish off by just taking a look maybe in, into the future a little bit more, just to see what's coming up with Palo Alto. Um, so Stuart, you've mentioned, obviously, the, the bridge crew acquisition, um, Prisma Access 2. I think that's that's next month, right? That's that's landing. Um, would, would, would you guys mind talking a little bit about... Yes, this month. This month. Oh, there you go, even better. Um, would you guys be able to sort of give us a little bit of detail there, what, what, yeah. what clients can look forward to? Yeah, sure. So, so um, look... Prisma Access, I'll start by just talking through and, and adding to what James said earlier. Prisma Access has been um, a phenomenal uh, solution for us and our customers. And they've, it, it, it's, it really helped, obviously, during the pandemic, stand things up quickly. And, and I mentioned earlier one of our customers that was talking going from sort of 30 or 40 remote workers to what they would have termed sort of 300 offices. But it's, it's even more scalable than that. You know, one of our reference cases is Slumberger, where they scaled from 25,000 users to 80,000 users in a matter of days. And, and James is right, it's using that um, Google backbone. So, you know, what, what I think we're helping people to do now is to, there's enhancements of the, of the technology in Prisma Access. So it, cloud delivered management is coming in in Prisma Access uh, 2.0. 
Um, and we're also bringing in some proxy capability so that we can help customers um, migrate from the legacy solutions that they have that are often intertwined and fairly complex in their infrastructure. And they've not previously been able to take advantage of that flow-based security that Prisma Access um, can deliver. So we're enabling them to, to do that um, by um, by implementing some uh, proxy-based technology that enables us to help them transition to that point and take advantage of, of a proper um, SASE solution and, and, and make their journey to that and all the benefits um, that obviously that, that will derive for them. Um, we, we, you know, we're also very pleased to say that, that you know, in the, the current form and our, you know, from a, from a WAN Edge perspective, we've recently been given the top scores from a Gartner Peer Insight perspective as well. Um, so that sort of builds up to our, our overall SASE play along with Prisma Access 2.0 and, uh, and Cloudgenics. Um, but yeah, so, so it would actually be this month, Rob, I think, that the, the uh, Prisma Access 2.0 is launched. Yeah, I, 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 would, um, I, I would just add to that to, to say, look, since Gartner started talking about SASE a, a while back, you know, you, you've seen a lot of vendors talk about their, their SASE capabilities. What I would say is that where, you know, we, we would encourage customers to have a really close look at the technology. Um, we're happy to run demos, proof of concepts, to really underline the fact that we believe we have a real depth of capability. Often it starts with one particular use case, such as secure remote working or or secure branch access, for example. But because of the extensive capability in the platform as a whole, that's where we feel there's a real power of the portfolio across the board in terms of the breadth of capability, because it often starts with one use case, but where we often find this delivers real value to customers is where they can start to see over a period of time, how they can consolidate a number of different products into that one overriding platform. There's probably a couple of other points. I mean, it's, it's if you think of one aspect of Prisma Access under the covers, has all of the same features and functionality as our physical and virtual firewalls. So we have a lot of customers who have deployments that incorporate both physical firewalls, virtual, containerized, and cloud delivered, all managed under one, one management platform with Panorama. One of the enhancements with Prisma Access 2.0 is a real enhancement in the cloud management capabilities because we're seeing a real drive for that as well. So. The point for me really is there's a there's a lot of depth of capability in the platform, which we're more than happy to demonstrate to customers who want to dig under the covers and see how that would fit for their specific environment. Uh, but it is a platform we're continuing to invest in quite significantly to make sure we can maximize that value for our customers in the long term. Yeah, and another exciting area with the with the Prisma Access 2.0 launch is the um, capability for security around IoT. Um, so what's also quite exciting about that is the ability of the technology to auto discover IoT devices in the environment and then suggest security policies to deploy. I think to Adrian's point earlier, um, the the integration of the technologies is what enables customers to deliver things like zero trust policies within the environment. It's very difficult to do that if you can't see where everything is and you and you haven't got enforcement points and so forth. So, so the integration of things like Prisma Access with Prisma Cloud or with um, on-prem next generation firewalls and having that ability to 
deliver the same policy across that is really important to help our customers deliver that robust um, cybersecurity uh, posture for, for their environment. Um, and, and, and Adrian, again, is, is quite right. Um, you know, we'd happily, um, you know, proof of concept or happily demo the, the product to show what it's capable of, how it can help those customers, how it can potentially um, integrate other areas. We're, we're launching another piece around um, cloud blade technology that exists on integration with other security tools as well in the environment. You know, I think coming back around again to the to part of the conversation that we had around our SOC in terms of utilizing Palo Alto Network's core technologies and then adding some small bits and pieces in that help deliver the entire posture. And I think that that's something that we recognize as an organization as well and want to be able to do um, within the solutions that we offer. Yeah, definitely. And I think included in the show notes is going to be um, a, a link to our, our managed trial um, that we're running with with Palo Alto Networks for Prisma Access as well. So um, any any listeners that are interested in that, I'd, I'd certainly point them in in that direction as well. Um, but I think that I think that ties up quite nicely um, with that with that call to action, gents. Um, I just made running... one more one more one more comment, Rob, if that's all right. Because I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Thank you very much. Uh, I think Prisma Access is about delivering consistent and um, exceptional end user experience. Um, and, you know, I think this is a, a, a currently a challenge with, with a lot of other offerings in the market. And they need to combine a lot of different solutions together and services together to deliver the same consistent, secure remote connectivity that Prisma Access does. Um, and it's that 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 really defines what what um, outcomes the customers can experience by that exceptional end user experience um, that they have not been receiving often from other solutions yeah and i can echo that i would say that um the kind of the feedback from clients who have kind of seen um experience and, and proceeded with prisma access um it's, it stands it stands out as as unique um i'm not sure sort of in the market as as a whole in everything that's available how unique it is but certainly from a top tier vendor it appears to to stand head and shoulders above others like you said especially because if you want to achieve the same thing elsewhere you have to combine a number of solutions and that just contributes to the the other problems that we talked about so yeah the facts yeah. are out there right you know the gartner reports um it, it's all there to, to back it up so um definitely Stuart, James, Adrian, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, looking forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Rob. Good to see you, James, as well. Thank you, Rob. Cheers, Mr. Thor. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for listening to NatChat, the Natalic Podcast. Please subscribe to the Natalic Podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review while you're there. It really helps us improve and grow the show. Please note that opinions expressed on the Natilic podcast are those of the hosts or our guests, not the organisations that they represent. You can find more information on Natilic on our website, that's natilic.com. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Natilic Group, as well as Facebook and LinkedIn. Our theme music was provided by Dan Short, who you can find at Danza, that's D-A-N-Z-R, on music streaming services. This is Rob Thor, and thanks again for listening.